So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker and Meg, why don't you run down what Inside Tracker is and what you can get? Yeah, so Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics. With a simple blood test and using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. And the good news for our listeners is for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash drop in. Hi, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. This is Robbie with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And you're listening to The Drop, our weekly podcast about all things running and our personal lives and anything else we feel like talking about. And today we're going to start this off with, uh, we've gotten some good reviews over uh, the period of doing this podcast. Meg, do you want to start off with one of the reviews? We're going to kick it off with that? Yeah. Yeah, why not? With the bad one or the good one? Start. Uh, let's start with a good one and save <laughs> the bad one for middle and okay. then end with a good one. Okay. Um, so this most recent review comes from someone who titled their name as your hairy balls. So it says, Thomas, is that you? (laughs) (laughs) Ticks all the boxes. Great running content with a side of laughs and hot takes. I love their insight into the world of running and sheer reviews. The whole group has such great chemistry and it's like hanging out with old friends. Hosting the best of the running world's industry and athletes every week, I find myself looking forward to the drop every Friday. Wow. Mm, thank you to my hairy balls. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was an interesting name, but uh, appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we don't care what you put your name down as, so go ahead and create a pseudonym and uh, leave your uh, comments. And we'll, I can't we'll, wait. It till might make like, it on the show. Till it's like, Thomas effing sucks. Hey. Like, I got to read it. Yeah. Well, I like how you went there instead of Robbie sucks, but oh, I'm yeah. not going <laughs> to self-deprecate myself. Yeah. So it's cold, guys. Wait, are you going to read the bad one too? Or are we doing that? I thought the, we were doing that later. Oh, at the end? No, let's read it. Let's read a couple and get into it. Oh, when wow. You, when you watch the David Letterman show or one of those guys where they read their mean tweets, they read like three in a row. Yeah. Okay. Well, this, now that we talked about the names, this makes it even better because this, they gave us two stars, which actually is pretty impressive oh, yeah. based on I the mean, review. Their name is Awesome Person 102. So you know what we're working with here. It says, just get to the guest already. I've listened to two of your podcasts so far, and based on the guests that you were having, what I didn't expect was to have to sit through almost half an hour of the host talking about their personal lives and not knowing half of what they were talking about. In reference to Des Linden's 50K, someone said, yeah, some guy posted on her Instagram about all the hype about her 50K. It's unbelievable to me that people that are hosting a running podcast don't know what the name of the person is. Carl Metzler, the goat in ultra running world. By the way, and I, I can't believe you guys didn't know who he was and referred to him as, quote, some guy. By the way, I did know that, and I just didn't feel that it merited mentioning at the moment. So, I mean, but that guy's awesome, so he gets it. I don't think you need to defend yourself here. We clearly are ignorant to a lot of things. and uh, But Carl Metzler, that's who the... Uh, speak speak of. Is I, I, yeah, I know who it is. Yeah. And I know, I, like... 
I, I know that he's also not related to Brian Metzler, who yeah. writes for Outside Magazine. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it, which would have been a better story. But wait, can I just, I got to finish it off here because that wasn't the end. He said, there just seemed to be so much rambling on and a lot of I don't know during the opening discussion. I would highly recommend moving through that section pretty quickly and getting on to the guest. Oh, it's ironic because he rambled on during his review. <laughs> but you know what's kind of cool? Is he he's still awesome like, person. he still said, listen. <laughs> Listen to the podcast. Just wait till they get to the person you want to hear. All right. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. I agree. Robbie does ramble on. Megan, you know, you Less do rambling. a lot of I don't knows and stuff. Like I'm I'm trying here. Uh-huh. You're oh, keeping yeah. it all together. Yeah, you're the glue. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um so this is a running podcast. We I think we did we just talked about all the running stuff we had to right there, so Someone said on YouTube, it was a comment, um, shoot, I'm not going to remember the quote now, but it was along the lines of, yes, this is a running podcast or like, it's like, it's a joke that this is even considered a running podcast. Like that should be the title of our podcast. Like that's the tagline. (laughs) Well, everybody wants to have creative control, but unfortunately for them, it's up to (laughs) us. Yep. Um, okay. So we're here. Yeah, we are. Got some stuff going on. I mean, this week. Was there anything cool happening in running this week? I mean, it seemed like a quiet week for the most part. Well, pretty much the fall marathon season is over. Like after CIM in Valencia, that was kind of like the cap. Yeah. So no big major exciting races to talk about. I'm sure there's some some stuff going on, but. um, I feel like I thought I had something written down, but I guess not. Probably mm. deleted it in my head. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Well, anyways, what uh, what's new around? Well, we do have a shakeout run. Is it even a shakeout run? It's just a it's run. Not, it's just a run. What's the definition of a shakeout run? Three shakeout, miles. No, but I think also a shakeout run is pre-race. Yeah. Right. So like if there's a race coming up, you do a shakeout run to loosen everything up, take get rid of your nerves, shake things out. Mm. When it's just a run, it's just a group run. Okay. So we have a group run tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time oh, this comes yeah. out, this it'll happen yesterday. Yesterday true, true. we had a group run <laughs> that we don't know about. <laughs> We're going to see how it turns out because it, the weather is calling for a 100% chance of icy rain. Icy rain. That's now now it's evolved. It, it was just rain. Now it's icy rain because it's in that weird temperature where it's like 34, 33, where it's not quite freezing. You know what would be the Love coolest it. thing? If we get a snow run. I, that's that would be amazing. I feel like, like that would that. be better than ice rain. Oh, Hell yeah, it would. Yeah, snow run, snow runs are one of my favorite runs. Yeah, it's all quiet. The whole world seems to, you know, like the dampening of sound. Mm-hmm. It would it's be the, cool. It's the perfect. What did she say? It's, it's the, the perfect, perfect conditions, conditions for, for running. running. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's slam has to be one of the best videos ever. For sure, on I can YouTube watch that on repeat. Yeah. Like, you, if that was the only video, like you're like, you went to YouTube and they had one video and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I love YouTube. <laughs> if no, if no, I'm trying to think if nobody knows what we're talking about with the Google, just like girl, no, fall, let's just put it girl in, falling in snow. Uh, no, perfect conditions girl. for running. Yeah. Perfect, yeah. perfect if you, condition. If you do right. perfect conditions for running, we can also put it in this uh, podcast. So, we, okay, like, I'll drop the link yeah. on the YouTube version. You yeah, I'm saying it that drop the link in the description, but. In the YouTube, we'll include it. So if yeah. you watch it on YouTube. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, there's just something so perfect. And what, you, what maybe you don't know if you're newer to running, they're both wearing like macked out gear. Like, it, oh, is, like- uh, it was this Nike reflective jacket that was like $500. <laughs> 
And like yeah. everything matched, I think. Yeah, they matched as a couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's it's one of my favorite things every year because I forget about it. And uh-huh. then I randomly see it. I'm like, yes, thank I you. I would put it up there with the guy that's describing the surf. And he's like, it was like, bah! So pitted. Yeah, so pitted. That, that is. Yeah. <laughs> that, if I could watch those back to back, my day is made. <laughs> All right. You can't be in a bad mood once you see that. Mm-mm. Maybe we should just try to make videos like that. Hmm. I'll let you take the lead on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, we have a run with Sharon Lucchetti. We didn't even say who was going to be at that run. Whoops. Yeah. With Under Armour. Under Armour athlete, Sharon Lucchetti. Kind of a big deal. Just won the New York City Marathon. Mm-hmm. In the new Under Armour racing shoe. Yep. Nonetheless. The velocity. Flow, flow, flow velocity. velocity Elite. Yeah. 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 Um, which I actually haven't run in yet because the one that I got was too big for me. They're bringing you a special color. That you think they're going to remember to bring it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We saw it. All right. If not, you'll I don't get know, to dude, demo one that of those and shoes. A, that and icy rain could be a little sus. I am a little worried about it. We'll see. Go out and get those metal screws. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me do some <laughs> yeah. modifications to this racing shoe. I mean, I've run in the shoe. Um, I When we did, when we followed Jordan Trofe doing his, uh, there was a version before this current version that I ran in. And I spent the whole day running around in that, and it's not bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would equate it to pretty much, I think it's really close to the Saucony Pro 2, Endorphin Pro 2, mm-hmm. was where I'd kind of mix it in as far as how much cushioning and snappiness it has. Okay. I would agree. So oh, I like that shoe, so that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a lot of people would use it probably more for, like, half to te- tempo runs and yeah. half than for a full marathon yeah but I, I think they're they're working on new stuff that for sure yeah nice. get, get even even more gushy so what's up with uh your running situation thomas well i had an amazing week last week uh-huh i killed my uh speed work on wednesday rolled up on saturday did my 20 mile run and had a pretty decent run like i hit all my marathon paces As a matter of fact i was under marathon pace for most of it um doing on off so a mile on and a mile plus a minute which is kind of fun i don't know if you've done that workout but it's my favorite long what run is it again? you run a your marathon pace for a mile uh-huh and then you do a mile marathon pace plus a minute so like say that you're going for 7 30 you do an 8 30 isn't that kind of just long run pace or is that would what would you consider I, th- I thought marathon pace was kind of like, I mean, long run pace was marathon pace plus a minute. I mean, maybe? it's, there's, mm. there's no rules. Or do you do more than that? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so I did it. Yeah. It, so it, it was 14 miles of that. Alternating. Yeah. Of uh, going back and forth between those. So I had a really good run. I decided to take out the alpha fly two because the helix guy messaged me and he's like, we tested alpha fly two against all the other shoes on the market. And he's like, I hate to tell you, but it's, it's still the best as far as economy and stuff like that. And what was my first question to you? Did he test it against the Alpha Fly One? Uh huh. And did, then what did he say? Uh, why don't you read what he said? He said he understands why we don't love the Alpha Fly Two because the foam is firmer and it uh, has less of a bounce. I'll read exactly what he said, but yeah. So. I, I did just, he also say it has less of a stack? He said the does. foam is firmer and has lower energy return, which explains your feelings about the liveliness and the rocker profile is different. But he still says it's efficient. So without 
energy return, how is it still as efficient? It's it's not. So he's saying that the AlphaFly 1 is better. Yeah. he The test that he sent over to you where he said the AlphaFly 2 still is reign supreme, he tested against other, the current okay. other brands and models. So I decided to take it out and do my workout in this shoe. And the one thing, I don't care what you say, the arch on this is by the end of my 20-mile run, my arch on my uh, left foot. Sorry. Robbie's trying to get tickets to Death Cat for Cuties. <laughs> yeah, one of his uh, friends. Yeah, it yeah. actually was, but yeah. sorry. <laughs> Dude, I'm on a podcast. Put it on silent. Mom. <laughs> Which, what I think is crazy about that is I have flat feet and... I didn't feel like the arch bothered me as much as it bothered you. What's the longest run you did in this? Mm, that's a good question. So I don't think I ever did a long run. I felt fine up until about mile 17. Okay. And well. then I started getting some heat on that arch on my left foot. And I was so glad when I was finished. But Robbie asked me how my running's going this week. Mm-hmm. I've been on the lever because like, I don't know what I did to my uh, soleus or my hip uh, during the run. But... It just hasn't felt right, and I've been, like, somewhat limping all week. So I I tried to do my miles on the lever, which were fine. And then this morning I was just, like, getting ready to try going outside. I was like, why am I pushing this? I said I'd probably be better with a day of rest. So I just I went back. I took off my running gear, <laughs> saw Megan in the kitchen, and I was like, hey, I'm just going to chill, drink some coffee, watch uh, – I ended up watching a comedian on Netflix for a little while, and I was just comedian? relaxing. Uh, the guy that retweeted my post, the guy that um, I can't remember his name. He was also just on Willie Geis, yeah, Sunday oh. morning show. Uh, he's I can't pronounce his last name, but uh, he's the Italian comic guy. Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But so you've been running the lever, but uh, so for people who don't know, the lever is like an. It's like a suspension the thing, thing I that you can, attach, <laughs> you can attach to your it's treadmill. Like, did we talk about what it was last year? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Did we really? Yeah. Okay. Because I was talking about how I was <coughs> using it. Yeah, it takes, it takes, you can suspend yourself over the treadmill and take some weight off yourself so that you're not putting as much impact on the run. So I did that and um, yeah, t- ended up just taking the day off and I was like, I'm supposed to do a long run. Yeah, Sebastian Maniscalco. I wasn't even going to try to say yeah. the last name. Yeah. Yeah. I was okay. watching his, his thing. Right. Um, you know, it, it's fun. He, he, he's, he's got, he's funny. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the, I'm just like, hmm. So Meg's like, if he, if for some reason you can't do Houston, so if like this stays nagging for a while, uh, would I be uh, like upset to make, Tokyo more of an A race. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I don't care. So like I'd rather run Houston because less um logistics. Yeah, like I won't be worrying about that much of a time change. I won't be worried about travel, food, all that stuff. But if yeah, if I'm not if I'm not um 100%, mm. I'll just shift to Tokyo. I'm hoping that it's just a temporary you thing. You seem bummed out. Well, anytime you can't run. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it just is a drag. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it's like, if it's, I actually don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but I know it is for you. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm bummed out. Like I, I apologize. Makes mom staying with us. I'm sorry. My energy's really low. I'm just 
yeah. and funk about the hip. Yeah, this is but. a throwaway podcast. Just kidding. It's mm. not. We're going to get a bad review on this one. Probably. I can't bring wait. It. Bring it, bad reviewers. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I'll take the rest and we'll see what happens. I don't think a week will kill it. And I was hitting paces. I was feeling the fitness. So. Did you run today? Did you run today? Or, sorry. No. Okay. I today was the day that I watched. Uh, oh, that was today. Okay. I already forgot it. Sebastian Mallow. Yeah. Sebastian from yeah. The Little Mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing that did drive me nuts on my long run was when I ran in the Mizuno Rebellion Wave Rebellion Pro. Yeah. It kind of bothered my left toe mm-hmm. and smashed it up. And I don't know if it continued to hit in the thing or it was swollen from that experience. So that when, because I did the speed work on that Wednesday in this shoe. Uh huh. In the Wave Rebellion Pro. Uh, and then did the long run in the um, yeah. Alpha Fly 2. Which is also not very flexible upper either. Yeah. And so my, yeah, my, my toe is still like, feeling a little you got toe crazy. jam i kind of at this point like do we need a big toenail no that's you know i've been i have been thinking about that wait do we need a big toe oh no nail. toenail oh like can we get rid of all the toenails forever when does that happen in the evolutionary process Ugh. i mean they're not necessary they're at this point are they are they necessary what were they for before they're scratching claws. people yeah they're like 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 you could fight off a wolf yeah <laughs> That, I mean, we haven't had those for. Uh, you, <laughs> haven't see, you haven't seen my toenails. <laughs> okay. The dumb and dumber ones going on. <laughs> Get the axle grind, angle grinder out. Well, I hope that we evolve out of them because they're. But useless. people are getting them surgically removed. I have my big toenails kind of just. I don't know what's going on with it. Yeah. It's, it's not falling off, but it's. And Megan, I love Everyone making loves. Megan cringe. Everyone loves. No, it's not, it's not. It's not gross. It's just like. <laughs> Almost calcified. Is that a? It's like I don't know. Man. It's not that gross. All I, runners' feet are jacked. But I'm up, saying yeah. people get them surgically removed now, so you could just. Why? Because a lot of people get ingrown toenails, and who, then if you painful. get them enough, who are we talking to that did that and it was like not not good? I don't know. Maybe I read that somewhere. Like they had that done, and it was ended I up just, really bad. Any huh. any surgery that you don't have to do, I'm I don't want to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, getting your ears pierced is surgery. I is bar- it actually surgery? I barely did I mean, that. Isn't it? No, it's not surgery. What's the definition of surgery? Body. You like go under and body modification. Yeah, it, it getting rid of a toenail would be a body modification. You're, but they're probably gonna have to like put That's you true. on anesthesia. I wouldn't put that in the surgery category. They probably could do local anesthesia. Just shoot your toe and you like zap zap. Oh, and then you feel it, but you don't feel it. Yeah. No, thank you. All right. So enough about my <laughs> running. Uh, our house is full of fun running right now megan what's going on with you you know you know by the way you know why this is happening because we ran too much no it's uh, not it's because i'm on a good upswing oh you so know we, every time we, i'm on a good upswing you get injured uh, but it's usually just you two i'm usually not ever involved oh, you're out in of this the conversation yeah. i'm on my own i mean i've had such a long streak you must have been in such yeah a it's, been a <laughs> it's been a while it's been a while we gotta have the yin and yang yeah um yeah, I mean, I I clearly have like some sort of Achilles tendonitis that's it's no longer painful pretty much at all. It oh. just feels weird. Mm. Um, but I'm doing like all of the things like 
the pre-run warm-ups. I'm massaging it. I'm using the gun. I've got the boots on every night. Advil like like nuts. No. So I'm only saving Advil for workout days and long runs, which may or may not be a good idea. I don't don't know. But you did a workout today. Did you take Advil for for today? Yeah. Okay. Which is probably why it feels amazing right now. Like it doesn't even feel bad at all. Um, so probably people out there telling me that I'm doing this very wrong, but what'd you wear for your workout today? Take a guess. Alpha play one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's the other. So you're still doing stuff like yeah. the same oh, yeah. thing. Oh, and she does it like she's complaining, but it'll be like, she'll come back and she'll be like that 20 mile run was only at a six fifteen pace. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah, you're hurting. <laughs> no, like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me. I just, I'm just worried. I don't want to, like make it worse but Mm -hmm. it it doesn't it's not getting worse then it's not worse you forget about it it's over yeah but i'm in my head about it now yeah okay i want if if you're not seeds if yeah if you're not feeling it it's not there (laughs) (laughs) i pretend it never happened yeah it never happened it's over is that how that works with like cancer i mean that would be like well no but it'd be like if you're when you're running and you don't feel any pain i know what are you supposed to be like? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Something's going to go wrong. But here's the other thing. I'm also wearing a compression sleeve um, for every run. And I've literally been alternating between the Adidas Primex Strong and Alpha Flies. So. She wants, she's like, the only thing that will I can run, because I wanted her to review the Adidas uh, SL. The Yeah. And she's like, eh, no, I need to be in something with high stack and a plate right now. Mm. <laughs> Okay. It just it it feels totally fine in those shoes, so I don't want to put so, on something else. I so, will. I will. So when they say that those shoes just mask, uh, <laughs> when her leg falls or, off, <laughs> it's might be true, might be not. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's good though. We'll yeah. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Could be good. Could be not good. But uh, otherwise, fine. So in this week, you're we both signed up for the Celtic Solstice, oh, which yeah. is also the Faster Bastards holiday party on Saturday. And you, we originally, I was doing a twenty mile run and finishing with the, the race, race, so mm-hmm. that I would pick up the pace at the end. Yeah. And then, Meg, you're doing twenty two miles and finishing. With Are you still going to do that? Race. Yeah, okay. She will. Are you, you gonna, are you just going to run to the race? Well, it depends on what Thomas is doing. If he's not running, I'm going to see if he'll drop me over at Lake Montebello and I'm going to do a bunch of loops over there and then run over to the start. You're psycho. I yeah. did a half You're there. Running loops at Lake Montebello. If I am running, she wants to do, we'll park by the race. We'll basically do the Baltimore 10-miler course out and, and back. Then, okay. Yeah, and then come back. Twice. Twice? No. Well, like. I think I want to run up from my house, but the only problem is not having a change of clothes. So I'd have to take my Well, you know, with. Matt is going to have the tent is has security. So you could actually drop stuff at the tent the, yeah. the night before or give it to Matt. Okay. And he can drop it the night before and it'll be secure in the tent. Okay. We have a party tent. Maybe I'll do that. Or give us your clothes. Yeah. Okay. They'll be in our car. All right. I'll think about that. I only have 12 miles, but, you know, that'll be enough to get there. Uh, I'm not running the race, though. I guess I, I don't really want to abandon it. I feel... So is, immoral is, about that. is 12 miles, is that what Coach Andrew gave you? Yeah, 12 miles. Coach Andrew Castor of Coach Castor Coaching. Is that a thing? <laughs> no, he coaches Mammoth Track Club. Uh, okay. I, be- I don't know what his actual like. I believe he is. also invented an oil. Castor oil. By the way, maybe we, do people still drink castor oil? Because that was like for hangovers and stuff, right? I think that went out with leeches. I, I, 
I wouldn't be opposed about bringing some of those things back. Yeah. Yeah. You can take it with your Chinese medicine. Leeches. Yeah. I mean, I'm open to some of those old school methods. Yeah. You ran in this shoe and I believe that I am not the only one with toe issues. Um, in the wave of rebellion pro. Yes. I, I keep forgetting you have to tell people yeah. <laughs> when you listen. Um, I don't know how to tell you this, but I have a faster PR than coach Andrew Castor in the marathon. Wait, really? It says marathon 250. Whoa, that's pretty rad. That is. That's cool. I like <laughs> and that. you're getting coached by him. Do you, when you, do you <laughs> no, I was going to see if he, okay, does he coach like normal people or are you just getting this because... No, he coaches some. I mean, he's like the mammoth track club. But I know he coaches elites. But oh, I'm does saying, he does coach? He coach oh, coach like, normal. I don't know. That's a good question. I th- I would think so, I would probably guess to he an does extent. If yeah. he's doing it for for yeah. Robbie and you're and, saying I'm not elite. And no, <laughs> Ashley Mateo clearly elite. Who else is he? He's no, but I'm but I'm saying that might be through the Asics yeah. partnership. Yeah, but I'm sure that if he's going to do it for what I'm trying to say is, he would probably do it for normal people if he's going to do it for them. Um, gotcha. yeah. So I, I mean, basically I just send him my report at the end of the week and then he just sends me the week next week's training. It's kind of cool that you can say like you and Nico Montañez have like the same yeah, coach. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Um, and so I just started out with the yeah, four miles on Monday and then ran. Do you think you're doing the same workout as Nico? <laughs> yeah, totally. Same um, paces, same mileage yeah. for sure. But I asked him, I told him, you know, I haven't done speed work in probably legitimately a year. Um, like, I don't think I've done any speed workouts. So I was like, you need to start but, me I mean, off slow. You've, you've raced. One race, <laughs> A65K in the half marathon. Donna. Well, yeah, you did Donna. You did, uh, what was the Falmouth? I didn't do that. Didn't do, oh, that's right. You didn't do Falmouth <laughs> this year. Um, I just think Robbie's there. I didn't really race the marathon. That was just long run pace. And then, uh, that that long run pace, that wasn't even long run pace. That was was was, my long run pace. That was heat. Nine minute per mile. Um, I think you could have gone faster if it wasn't 80 degrees out. Not, I mean, not with the training, but anyways, so I'm doing, so yeah, start out slow, just kind of easy track workout. Um, I did run in the wave rebellion pro, which I like that shoe a lot. Um, the only thing is that both my big toes were killing me last night. Oh, Thomas so it's said. so it's an issue. Yeah. Here's the problem that both I was discussing this with Robbie. The shoe fits underfoot just perfect. Like where the cushioning lines up is perfect. So I don't think I'd want to go up a half size to give myself more toe room. I think it just needs more volume in the toe box. Yeah, um, I just, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Robbie, you feel the same? Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't think the sizing otherwise is off. I just felt that. I mean, I put my pair on and I was like, I can't race in these because it was so snug. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I think this is a phenomenal running shoe. It feels great underfoot. It bounces the plate. Robbie and I sort of disagree on the feeling of the plate, but. Are you talking well, marathon I, distance for this or shorter? I would, I would yeah, totally go 100%. marathon. Okay. But like, to me, this is as close as you're getting to to this so far. What our one reviewer, Sam, said is that, and this is kind of what I felt maybe, is that you get up to a certain speed and it feels like. It doesn't want to go any faster. Yeah, yeah. And I did feel kind of that maybe a little bit. Um, well, that's why I think it's a marathon. It's a crew. It's, I also feel like the, the alpha flies the yeah. same way. You get to it's kind of like cruise control. You get to a certain pace, 
set it and you can just but i like that feel of the you know the metaspeed edge or the endorphin pro 2 where it's just like snaps but also not great for marathon distance in that case well because <laughs> you know i did wear the metaspeed sky for a marathon and i did feel like the harshness of the plate underneath and the mix with the turbo made it, it, it gave my foot fatigue after a while yeah where also I, I had a miserable day that day so i don't want to judge this you completely but i did like 20 mile workouts and stuff it just doesn't have enough give for me mm. what i really like about this shoe it's got those two layers of the energy light and the energy light plus yep and they work so well together to give you that on the top layer give you that nice sink in feel yeah where the bottom is and we we're trying to figure out what foam because it didn't list it but it feels like a pbax foam on the bottom and so you get that light snappy feel i feel like but i i get what you're saying about it doesn't have the toe spring, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and what you have is more of the bounce, and I like yeah. that. So Which, like, by the way, I guess we should mention that this shoe is way over the World Athletics ruling in the midsole, but it is a race legal shoe. Compliant, compliant. So explain what you yeah. mean by that. So yeah, you can hold it, and if you're watching the YouTube video, you can obviously see the shoe. If not, just look at our Instagram and see the picture of the shoe. Um, but they have a cutout in the heel where it kind of angles down from the back of the shoe into the, I call uh, it like an extreme rocker. Yeah. Very extreme. And, but world athletics for their, uh, to judge whether a shoe is race legal or not, they measure from 12% in from the inside of the heel collar and then measure straight down through the heel for that stack height. Well, because they cut out the heel on this shoe, the stack height is under 40 millimeters at, at that point in the measurement but it keeps getting bigger as you go towards the midfoot and it in we measured it we got calipers and measured it in uh in meg's women's seven and a half yep which, which they do t- nines right the men's nine is the standard measurement for world athletics and hers was what did i say it was 47. 47 47 millimeter stack height which means the size nine is over 50 um, so you're getting a 50 millimeter stack of cushion in well, a, still being legal in a race legal yeah. shoe, which is pretty ingenious. I got to say, well done. Mizuno. I mean, don't you think they're going to change the rules if everyone <laughs> does this? No, because uh, I mean, I look, don't know. what's the point? Like you're not like, what is, what is, what are you getting out of that extra stack? The only thing that I can think of is if you're loading it with springs or foam that is so bouncy that it becomes a... I think they just had to put rules in place so that people didn't get too crazy. And they measured <laughs> what was there, which was the Alpha Fly when yeah. they started going nuts. Right. And the Alpha Fly had a 40 millimeter. Uh, yeah, we all know it was based off of that shoe. Yeah. So I don't know. I But what I like about that, where you strike in this shoe, it makes you want to go a little bit more forward. So if you get up on your toes, it's got a wide platform under the toe, so it's pretty stable. And... I feel like it has the thing that I like about the Alpha Fly, which is that bounce under the palm of your foot, under the fat pads. Mm-hmm. I told you I was going to bring fat pads in fat there. You love fat pads. Um, it, gi- it gives you that little bit of responsiveness. So when Robbie's saying like he misses the spring off the toe, you're getting the bounce off the off the yeah. thing, is I think. the And if you're trying to speed up, I think that's where when Sam says it, it didn't get faster, it 
it has a really nice right. cruising speed. Right. Yeah. And but yeah, overall, I mean, it's a pretty awesome shoe. And they did say they designed it after like a track spike. Mm-hmm. There's a world record track spike that Mizuno designed, and he basically took it and put it inside the energy foam that was in that big thing that looked like it had herpes. The the, the whatever that the shoe proto was. shoe yeah, yeah that had it looked like a raspberry on the bottom yeah he's like had a just the bottom of that with a track spike and you kind of see how it exactly fits to me that's kind of brilliant because you're basically taking you're saying here's the surface that would be ideal to run on mm-hmm. in a track spike and so they just put it in there so i, yeah. I like it yeah it did a good job other than it. hurting your toes the upper is amazing too yeah it's uh pretty good stuff all right, Robbie. So Camille Heron broke the 100-mile record and the 50-mile record for the women, at least in the U.S. Is it a world? Uh, American 100-mile track open record. I think that's for both men and women. Wow. Whoa. I don't know. I mean, it, it would make sense. It doesn't say it's for women. So right. I would assume that's for everyone. So how many loops is that? Uh, I don't know. 100 miles. Four times 100, right? Is, yeah, 400. Yeah. So 13 hours and two minutes, which she did the same event last year at the Desert Solstice Track Invitational. She beat her old record by almost 20 minutes. Holy cow. Like, do you guys have any desire to run around a track that many times for that long? I don't have a desire to run around a track two times. I I would tell you, I do see the appeal of it in the fact that your gear is there. You have all your support there. People can see you running. And like, like, it's not like you have to run from location to location to see her do Yeah, but this. you're running literally hundreds and hundreds of circles in the same spot. I don't know. I can totally see Johnny Lyons doing this. Yeah. I mean, there's some people who are just meant yeah. to do I that. don't like a double looped course. Like, I don't like running two loops of something. Same. I want it to be like a new atmosphere, fresh the whole time. I mean, but our buddy Don just did it on a treadmill. Also like, insane. Yeah. Like, I, I think I could, I could do... I don't know if I'd want to do a hundred miles, but I know I could do like a long distance. I could do like a marathon on a track. No, thank you. You think so? A yeah. marathon on a track? How many loops is that? Well, four times 26. What's that? And then the last. And, and then add one. So it's 125. Yeah. I'm a hard pass on yeah, that one. I, d- I mean, I don't, I do actually like track workouts because I like that. I don't know. I'm not saying I would go fast, but yeah, <laughs> I could just do it. You don't have to think about directions. Yeah. No road closures. But that is. You know what pissed you wild. off? Say that you were in your 120th lap or something. And then a Someone bunch of. Someone starts running uh, no, around the inside. A, a, bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of walkers get on the track. <laughs> you got to yeah. finish up. But yeah. No, that, I mean, congratulations to Camille. I think it's pretty rad. What was her uh, pace? Uh, 749 per mile. That's just insane. Yeah. that That is what. Yeah. That's what I ran the NCR marathon in uh, a year ago. I love that all these women in all these masters runners are getting faster. That makes me pumped. Yeah. And we've interviewed a lot of them. Yeah. On the Why podcast. isn't this happening to men though? You guys don't age well. Apparently we fall apart. Women much better at aging. <laughs> it seems that way. I don't know. There's a lot of, there's you, a lot of. Do you think it's because a lot like Kira D'Amato and some of the other women you've interviewed, it's, they maybe take a break. Like they were very good, and then they kind of took a break in their twenties. I mean, yeah, and a lot Camille of them didn't. A lot of them. She, oh yeah, she's well, she's just a, she's like an outlier. And of you look everyone. at like Courtney DeWalter. 
I mean, she's hardcore. Like, I think Kira is the only one that I know of that has taken the big break yeah. and come back. I, I think it's that, um, you know, it's like once someone does something, then you feel like you can do it. And I feel like you just constantly see these women in their late 30s, early 40s, breaking records, like doing good stuff. And, and it inspires other women to do it, too. I definitely feel like when I'm at a race and I see like a dude who's older than me and he's crushing, I'm like, oh, maybe I do still have time. And I'm like, no, he probably started off at a two two <laughs> two hour flat marathon and is now <laughs> yeah. worked his way you. back to the three twenty crowd. <laughs> oh yeah. That is you don't think about that. You don't know the past, what has gone into it. But you do see stories like there's a dude who started running when he was like fifty and yeah. now he did it at sixty, he did a sub three hour marathon. Yeah. That's just insane. Like you gotta have some really great genetics and skill. Or works really hard, probably a combination. Yeah, well, the work I know you can put in. Yeah. But I'm saying to be able to do that, it's just How crazy. much, do you know how, someone was telling me about this guy in his gym, that gym in our neighborhood uh, by Mobtown. Oh, okay. Hit, he's 74, just set the American record for deadlift, and he's like, weighs the same as me. Like, I don't know, was it, I don't know if it was like his weight I, group. I, I have not seen this. But do you know how much a deadlift, like how much is good in a deadlift? Because I actually okay. don't know. I don't even, I wish Ryan is a deadlift just standing up with a bar? I, I think, think that's so. a thing where you like pull like Do you have to pull it all the way over your head? No, I think you just like like pull it up okay. to your waist. Okay. I think that's a deadlift. So the average deadlift weight for a male lifter is three hundred and thirty six pounds. So this dude apparently deadlifts at three hundred and sixty six and he is seventy four and weighs like a buck thirty. It says male beginners should aim to lift one seventy three. <laughs> Holy cow. Like what? Ouch. So I mean I is, guess are you gonna start bodybuilding? No. I have no, no interest in I that. I have no interest in that. That stuff's crazy. I just like don't understand going to a gym and just and lifting things, going around to different things and lifting them up and putting them down. Well, yeah. it's funny because like Meg's brother is <laughs> always like, so "Hey, CrossFit. come to CrossFit with us. Come to Cross. You'll love it. You guys don't understand. It's great." So I, I I've been a couple times. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. It's like, oh, run over that weight, pick it up. Now run back, do it, jump on the floor, yeah. jump back up. I'm like, I eh, just. And he's probably like, well, you guys just run in a straight line. And, you know, I, I mean, I got a good, good point. It, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, down, we're pretty dumb, too. But um, <laughs> Touche. Yeah. I don't know. So, all right. Who's our guest this week? Uh, Christopher McDougal. Oh, yeah. Born uh, to Run. And McDougal. this is the second chapter of Born to Run. He's Bo- back. It's Born to Run 2. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Which Remember, you were like every person, every all of his editors and people were like, "That's a terrible name," but yeah, he <laughs> disregarded it. I'm still going with it. It did really well the first time. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's interesting because I do share some of his beliefs in like group running and uh, just the ethos of running. Where we kind of separate is I, he's still on the the minimal side of the running. Oh yeah, he's still barefoot through yeah. and through. A guy so, yeah. does not own any stock in Coca. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, well, now all the shoe brands, I mean, they're yeah. all going max. Yeah, that's something we need to talk about in the future, too. I think it's swinging, though. Everyone's tr- trying to do a max cushion, at least looking shoe. Uh-huh. And they're not all max cushion. It's do you know what it reminds me of? Like it. it reminds me when everybody's trying to do a Vaporfly before they figured it out. 
Yeah. And everybody had a speed shoe and you're like, it looks right. like a speed shoe. It feels like crap, but it looks like a Vaporfly. And now a lot of the shoe companies, especially this Mizuno one, um, are getting to the point where I think it competes quite well against the Vaporfly. Yeah. But anyways, all right. So that's, uh, yeah, Christopher McDougal and Eric Orton are our guests today. All right. So first check in. It's that time of year when you're going to get challenged by weather. We're about to have a run going to have ice rain you got to say to yourself do i go out in the ice rain and the answer is yes if you have the right gear running in these like weird weather situations only makes your love of running grow and you feel tough you go home and you feel good you get in a hot shower you have a hot coffee and you feel like you did something badass and you did all right, Megan, I love that today's podcast is going really well, but we got to take a break here to talk about a sponsor. Who's sponsoring this one today? This podcast is sponsored by Ortholite. Ortholite has partnered with over 400 footwear brands to provide innovative solutions that elevate comfort and performance underfoot for over 25 years. I mean, 400 plus 25 years, they're throwing out some big numbers there. I mean, I, I'm surprised that there's anything but Ortholite insoles and shoes these days with those kind of numbers. It's the brand that brands trust, and I like it when I find them inside of the shoes that we're testing when they come from the factory. It makes a big difference. What's in your shoes? All right, we're here today with uh, Christopher McDougal and Eric Orton. Uh, Christopher McDougal is the best-selling author of Born to Run, which probably everybody listening to this has read. Yeah, it actually, <laughs> it pretty much was right around the time that I started getting into running and uh, convinced me to do the Trans Rockies the first time. So uh, thanks to you, Chris. And I actually, we actually ran a race together. Um, we ran the uh, Hat 50K and your sandal broke. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I, I remember the sandal breaking. Yeah. Yeah, I was there. Temporarily breaking, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. That, that, uh, that was... You weren't, the guy, you weren't the guy who gave me a multi-tool, were you? No, no, I was the guy laughing at you guys trying to fix it. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, that's why you got a, you need shoes with laces. <laughs> no. Dude, uh, you got some bad karma coming at you, man. I, it's it's, it's, it's been a, years of a dark it. cloud. There's a dark cloud coming. There is. Yeah. <laughs> years of it. Good. Uh, but no, I mean, one of right, the I'll things. I'll tell you what. You know what? As of today, as of today, I'm lifting the spell. Thank you. Oh, wow, what a guy. I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, and you know what's crazy? Uh, pretty much that book came out. How many years ago was that? Was that 2008? 2009. Okay. That's right. It's the same time when we started this website. And uh, my fascination and obsession with shoes, uh, I got to experience the born to run effect on the entire industry. And you pretty much, you sent a ripple through the industry that I don't think people quite understand. I think that between you and Nike with the uh, Vaporfly uh, 4% were the two biggest changes in the industry since I've been following 
uh, running in footwear development. That is pretty titanic. That is pretty titanic. But, you know, it's a funny thing about that with the minimalism because I feel like it was, it was going to happen. I feel like if I wasn't lighting a fuse, something else would have. Uh, it was way overdue. And, and it is again. Oh, you wanted to go back? We're <laughs> loving the cushion. I, I figured now you're wearing hocus. <laughs> oh, hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Yeah, it's funny because... When you guys get it, I don't know if you haven't looked yet at Born in Room 2, but um, we had a big debate. So in the book, we decided, you know what, let's just come out and declare what kind of footwear we recommend. If we're using this as, as a training guide and you know, we're telling people to do specific exercises and eat specific foods, we can't say, okay, we're well, just going to be agnostic about footwear. we got to tell them specific footwear. And so Eric's and various other people that we really respect – they all uh, advised ultras. They said the shoe to recommend is an ultra. And I'm like, too much shoe, man. Way too much shoe. Let's go with the zero shoe. And uh, luckily, I think fortunately and wisely, I was overruled. But I think even like Escalante Racer is too much shoe. Wow. Uh, I got to <laughs> yank you know, insoles out to feel comfortable in those things. I, that's, uh, that might be the first person that I've heard say Escalante Racer is too much shoe. Well, I, you got to also notice something about uh, Chris. Chris, you are a, not a little guy. You're pretty tall. You're not like a featherweight runner who's like, hey, barefoot shoes work and I weigh 105 and, uh, you know, super light. You're a big dude. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why I can run. I think, to me, the, the game changer, and, and we do hear this a lot from people uh, who send in these messages all the time, saying that as soon as they switch to minimalism and change their form, because what it's really all about, it really has nothing to do with the shoe. It has everything to do with the form. And, you know, like everything in life, anything where there's a lot of cushion lets you get sloppy, you know? Uh, anywhere there's a pad to cushion your fall, you don't have to worry about how you're meeting planet Earth. And so that, to me, is what it's all about. And because I'm a big guy, uh, and I'm a kind of a sloppy athlete, you should see me on a basketball court, dude. I am just arms and elbows everywhere. So, But, you know, running-wise, because I think I'm always on the verge of backslide and back, uh, bad form, I really need to have a super minimal shoe to always remind me, like, stay sharp, man. Keep that, fo- keep that form more focused. Yeah, and so uh, before we get more in, in we'll go down that road more too about footwear and everything but i guess we should talk about how born to run 2 which is the ultimate training guide whereas border run was more of this uh you know the story of the uh, yeah uh and and just running in more barefoot style and that kind of and just um that type of running and, and really just a great read overall, but this is more of a training guide and, and you have a seven step system. Uh, I haven't read the whole book yet, but I've read the, um, probably half of it so far. Um, and maybe we, we can talk about first off how Eric and how you and Chris got connected and you know, how this idea came to, to write this guide as a follow-up to, uh, to born to run. Yeah, Chris and I met way back in 2005 in Denver. He was doing a article for Men's Journal on my training here in Jackson Hole. And we met, we were, we were planning to meet for two days. And that was right, I forget how many days or weeks that was after Chris came back from the Copper Canyon for his first time. So 
we met, he told me about his first trip down the Copper Canyon and that's all I wanted to talk about. And so we, we, we kind of got into our two day training and then after day one, it became really apparent to me how badly Chris wanted to run and told me his story about how broken down he had always been and how doctors couldn't tell him to run and essentially the, the backdrop to Born to Run. And I basically ripped up my script for day two and my whole plan for day two was to sabotage the, the magazine article and teach Chris how to run. And we, we spent four hours at City Park in Denver. And after that, we sat on one of the golf greens and talked about going down to the Copper Canyon for the 50-mile race. And maybe if everything went well, Chris would be able to do it. And uh, there you go. So that was a pretty life-changing moment for you, Chris, I would say. <laughs> yeah, totally life-changing moment. Um, although I wouldn't say it was the moment. It, the moment took a long time because Eric showed me a few things in the park. You know, uh, he surprised me by showing me that the way to lo- run long distances was, was to learn how to sprint, which was kind of a head-scratcher. I didn't quite buy into it, but I could feel that things were different, that the way he was teaching me how to run. The very fact that he's even talking about form. Like, nobody ever, ever told me to change my running form. They, they told me the exact opposite. And I, I feel like you still hear this to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, like, just use your own natural ability. Don't, don't change your form. And, and no one ever said, oh, no, dude, get off your heels, man. You know, get off your feel, heels, get on your forefoot, bend your knee, change, change what your body is doing. No one ever said that. And so... I kind of bought into it. It made sense, but I had to see some some proof in person. And then over the next, you know, seven, eight, nine months, I just felt a unbelievable change. And actually, in a matter of two weeks, in a matter of two weeks, wow. Eric had me out heading out these long runs, which I never thought would have been possible. Yeah, and then so the the relationship evolved from there, and. Uh, of course, you know we already talked about Born to Run, and so so when did you come up with the idea to actually put together this training guide? Uh, I, I think the idea hit me first because, well, for two reasons. One was I was supposed to be writing another book. I was contracted to write a book. I was calling King of the Weekend Warriors. I really wanted to focus on kind of a, a counterpoint to the whole Goggins message about how you know you should kind of run until your intestines are dropping out of your anus. You know that. If it doesn't hurt, you're doing it wrong. Stay hard. And I, I, yes, you know, it, it stay hard. You stay hard until you're in the ER, you know. So I don't know. Something about that message struck me as completely the opposite of what people should be experiencing. So much of running, recreational running, is somehow attached to fear, fear and pain. You know, that if you don't get the right shoes, you're going to get hurt and you should run, you know, till you drop in. And some of that fear and pain thing, if you don't do it, Right, you know, you're gonna hurt your knees. And I thought, dude, where's the joy? Where's the message of joy and fun? So I was gonna work work on this book called King of the Weekend Warriors. Um, but when it dawned on me that all I was really doing was arguing with Goggins in print, I thought, you know, that's, that's a terrible way to write a book. You know, you're not <laughs> entertaining, you're not entertaining, you're just arguing. Yeah. Um, and at that same time, that same day, I got another blitz of messages in my inbox, email from people asking me for training advice, which I never ever give. And uh, because I'm not qualified. And that's when it finally dawned on me. You know, it's been 15 years of people asking me for advice and me always saying, I'm not the guy. And then it finally dawned on me, well, well, you know, I know the guy. I'll just call Eric. And so he and I decided to step in and 
fill in all the information is it in Born to Run. It's interesting, though. I would feel like it's daunting. Born to Run was such um, a large presence in running. Uh, whether people respond to it in a positive way or in a negative way, everybody knows about it. And everybody knows somewhat. And it has gotten watered down over time that people think it's the barefoot running guide where it was really more of a, a, a fun story to follow along with. And um, this one, though, like I would think it's tough to pick up a pen and get back to putting Born to Run on the front of anything um, because of the success of that first one. Was it daunting to go back to the franchise? and Or now it's, I guess it's a franchise. But was it daunting to go back and put that name on the front of a book? It wasn't daunting for us. <laughs> it was daunting for everybody else, though. <laughs> um, everybody, agents, publishers, editors, they're all just like, bad, terrible, terrible idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, Eric, I mean, remember how long that argument went? But probably still going on, right? <laughs> what was the concern? <laughs> right. Oh, there was, I mean, it was two sides. It was one, never put a number on, on right. a title. And then it was all about the search engine optimization, and mm. no one's going to be able to search and find, and and so, um, but it, it was it was part of our conversation that first phone call that that that's what it was going to be called, and we just felt good about it, and you know, I don't, I always go with my gut feeling, and we both had that same gut feeling, so um, I, I go back. There's kiss, and there's kiss too. Kiss Alive too, and there's, uh, Van Halen, and there's Van Halen too. So Van, Van Hagar, uh, what, what is, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny though, Eric. I, I wonder if you and I should really have like a mediator between us because we we never disagree, um, even on opinions that are really probably not that smart. You know, even the whole Copper County thing in the first place. I mean, when you look at who else went down there, there's no way we should have been there. You know, right. Barefoot Ted, Jen, Billy, like that was a ship of fools, man. You know, <laughs> why were we getting on board? And same with Born and Run, too. Uh, a lot of really smart people. Um, I, I really respect and like my editors and my agent, everybody. And they all just said, you don't do this. There is never any book on the market that has a number after it. No one ever does it, you know? Yeah. There's like, not the sun also rises, part two. It's, you, you, you launch a book. It's titled, it's over. But I don't know, I, say, I, I, I didn't see it. This legitimately is the follow-up. It is everything we didn't put in Born to Run. Yeah. That's what this book is. So is this like an appendix almost? Like if you're reading the story, here's the deeper dive into some of the things that I'm talking about. I, w- I wouldn't say that. It's kind of a weird hybrid. I don't think, I mean, our goal in the beginning was to create a training guide that was unlike anything else out there. And I would say in that respect, we definitely pulled it off. I don't think there's anything like it. And what we wanted to do was combine the same like demonstrative storytelling. Because the thing about Born and Run, I think that people liked about it was that it gave you examples of runners that were just out having a friggin' blast. And you don't really see that in any depictions of running in, in media. You know, not in movies, not in books, not, not even in magazines. It's always about how little you can run in order to train for a marathon, you know, like the, the least you have to do in order to do a 5K. Running is always depicted as like this punishment. Yeah. And so I think what people responded to in Born to Run was, you know what, we're going down to the canyons, we're going to effing rip it up, we're going to have a good time, and that's what the story was. And so we wanted to capture that same sense of like real good fun and adventure, but also 
dial in the very specific training advice that people can use, and then in areas that they wouldn't expect, like uh, fun or family. These are things that most people don't address in uh, in training ads. Yeah, and so uh, let's see. I want to get into some of the basics of the training guide. So maybe maybe start out with what you think is. I guess they're all equally important in your mind, but maybe it's just some of the key points that really that really make this training guide different from other training guides. Hey Eric, I'll, I'll name one thing that I think is the, is the one and only. You name your one and only. If there's only one okay. thing you got to do, all right, should we do it on three? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Ready? They're going to agree. Ready? Okay. One, two, three, four. Turn your feet. <laughs> ah. form versus feed all right. <laughs> same thing all right <laughs> okay all right dude you go ahead uh you know so my, my yeah answering that question to me it all starts with the feet that's our foundation everything we do as runners we, we use our feet 100 percent of the time so nobody trains the feet and why is that and and how we use our feet directly direct directly relate to how well we use our complete body and so to me that goes hand in hand with form is that how we use our feet with every foot strike directly relate to how we activate and fire other muscles that we've been told are important to running but it's how we use the feet that relate to how we use those other muscles and so that's to me the, the ultimate foundation and where all all the free seven relate to, to one and and you know, we talked about do we do form first or food first or or strength first, and it, it's all kind of interrelated. But to answer the question, to me, it, it really starts with the feet that feeds into the form. Um, now, I wouldn't have said feet or even thought of it because I don't even think about it anymore. I think after 15 years of largely going barefoot or only wearing middle shoes, I uh, it's something that's now off, off my mind. Uh, and I'm, I'm always thinking about everything from the ankle up. I'm thinking about, man, what's my posture like? Am I driving with the knee? You know, am, I, am I getting my chest out? Where are my arms? So I feel like the feet are the easiest ones in some ways to train because all you got to do is just strip away the things that are interfering between you and the ground. Once that's out of the way, you're training your feet all the time. Every, every step you take is training. So it is kind of interesting, though, that – it is kind of a cool position to be in where you can just take it for granted. Yeah. Uh, my, my thought is when I, when I read some of your work is that, you know, the first one you said, Hey, think, uh, light, light is fast. Wait, what? How, give me the steps again. I, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but you probably have them memorized here. Easy, light, smooth, and fast. He goes, uh, first focus on easy. Cause if that's all you get, that ain't so bad. And once you're moving easy, Focus on light, you know, and then once you get easy and light, focus on smooth. You get those three, you'll be fast. All right. So that that's the thing. But I get mo more out of your advice that it's not about how fast you go. It's about the joy of running. And I think that we do get caught up as runners in the statistics, the adding up our Strava miles, adding up our distances, adding up our paces. There's a lot of data now that especially with the watches and everything that we can get into that we never had access to how many hours you're sleeping. But the thing that I think really caught people's attention in the first book, and, and I think that you kind of hit on in the second book, is that there's there's a profound joy in running that when you kind of just kind of, and whether it's, 
you know, I'll, I'll probably never get into a barefoot shoes because I just love the gear that much. But huh. I, I can relate to the the joy. I'm gonna get some shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to the joy of just being out there. And I think that a lot of times as runners, we we forget that that's the goal, or that that there is a super goal that ties us all together and brings us all together, and that's the actual pleasure in the sport. Well, well, and with so, that, I, I think people don't realize how good they can feel if they apply some simple, easy strength training exercises and multiply by with good form that we've kind of been brainwashed to think, hey, tightness and all, all this is part for the course for running more, but it's just the opposite. And that leads to the joy. You know, if we're available, what do they say? The only... The only talent is availability, right? And if, if we can feel better as we run, the more joy that's going to bring us in whatever way we look to, to have joy in running. All right. I'm trying to set up my shoe display here. Yeah, for my those of you listening, Chris is stacking shoes right now. None of them look like they have more than 20 <laughs> millimeters of stack. Oh, not 15 uh, millimeters. Five, five, okay. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about the only ultra that I like. Is this fellow right here? <laughs> is that a custom one you yeah. cut in half? <laughs> it could be. No, this is the Ultra Vanish. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, the Ultra Vanish was one of these like little lived, beautiful masterpieces that it was just so wonderful. Of course, they had to freaking kill it. Uh, but yeah, now they call it the um, Vanish, the Vanish Tempo, and the Vanish Carbon, carbon which are the exact opposite. Of that. <laughs> carbon. Yeah, you got you got to have carbon in it. You know. Uh, but listen, here's, here's let me tell you something. That I'll probably agree with. Here's where we have common ground. Um, putting shoes on your feet is a sensual joy. You know, it's, it's a pleasure. It's like eating a meal. It's like a foot massage. So I love, and I got way too many shoes. I mean, I, I, I kind of prowl around eBay looking for old discontinued things. Like this is one of the, uh, this is one of, what the heck is this? Is that a zero? Oh, it's a zero shoe. Okay, it's a Mesa Trail. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought I was picking this one up. This is one of the, one of the minimus ones. I, I forget that. which one it is. If it's a, MT00 or, you know, the MT10V4, whatever the heck it is. I can never keep track of all the goddamn New Balance numbers. Yeah. Uh, you find stuff discontinued online. You got to prowl around. Like, New Balance had it wired. And so I've got way more varieties of shoes than I need. But I enjoy it because you put a new shoe on your feet. It feels good. And you anticipate how it's going to perform in the run. And to me, it's like, I'm not going to eat oatmeal every day, three times a day. I want to vary up my diet. I want the joy of variety. And that's what shoes is all about. My only quibble is when we start to add junk in there that actually impedes performance. It is getting in the way of your form. But as long as it's not obstructing what your body wants to do, then, then go for it. Uh, I just think it's disaster. So let me ask you, so, I mean, Tom, have you struggle with issues i mean has a cushioning caused you any kind of grief over the years cushioning hasn't going minimal did for a while so i went i went real hard is when i of course i was doing the things you're not supposed to do i was i pick so you know we review shoes so a lot of times my mileage is high anyway because i'm trying to get shoe reviews out so i'm getting the minimum amount of miles i can to get in each shoe so if we got a drop i was out on my feet quite a bit and i was trying a lot of the minimal shoes um it was the time when the MT100 was out and the time when uh, Newton had a, uh, a track, like almost like a, a flat 
out and uh, I was running in for racing for marathons. I was in the Saucony Type A6 or something that was, you know, very, very flat in comparison. And I just went overboard and overtrained and broke my third metatarsal. And I do feel it was the lack of cushioning with the amount of mileage and stepping up my training at a rapid pace that caused um, the injury. So I'm not saying it was the shoe itself. It was the uh, way that I used the tool. Yeah, you were you were you were driving drunk. You were a drunk driver. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You had, you had five drinks and took the wheel. Like those are the two combinations, the two things you don't do. Hey, let's change my footwear and ramp up my mileage at the same time. Let's just see how that works, you know? Let's have five drinks and see how fast we can drive. So yeah, that was that was the classic um, kind of error. But you do kind of point out something that I think is another big problem with recreational running, which is this whole competition thing. So, you know, you pointed out my, my, my sandal blowout in hat. But, you know, I look back on it, I kind of wonder, like, who had the better day? Like, was it me or you? Um, you might have scaled, you know, sailed through that course without a problem. The fact that I did have a problem, you know, so I was out there on the course and uh, the strap, yeah, the strap broke. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm SOL because I'm on a trail with uh, creek crossings, and I'm I don't know how many miles from the finish line. And I think I like trotted up to an aid station. Some dude had a Swiss Army knife, you know, had a multi tool, so I was able to yank the cord through, re knot it, figure it out, refiddle it, and, and be back on my way. To me, like that's the adventure. And that you know, course, you kind of live in this bare like grills that. thing. Yeah, the course though is a course where it would be really difficult to barefoot run. You needed something shod under your foot because there's just so many small roots, rocks. It's a technical trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember where I saw you, where it was where you broke down. Now, you have to understand, I, I'm somewhat new to running at that point. There's the dude who wrote the book that I read on the airplane that convinced me to start running ultras uh, on the side. And he, I got a signed copy of your book that day from from the race. Uh, I believe every participant got a signed Christopher McDougall Born to Run. So it was quite uh, memorable for me <laughs> whether, whether or not uh, you know it, 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 we both, you got something out of it and I got something out of it. It's just different. Yeah, that's a funny thing though, Tom, because that's also the reason why I don't give people training advice or never did until now because I'll get messages from people like. Hey, I'm gonna come to your event. I'd love to run with you, but you know, I'm I'm too slow. I said, like, believe me, you're you're not too slow. Trust me. <laughs> There's nobody that's gonna be fast that's slower than I am. Um, and that was always my point all along. The story of Born to Run is not watch Chris like sail through the Copper Canyons. The story of Born to Run is watch the lowest common denominator figure out how to tackle this sport. So I guess along along those lines, what do you say so if somebody say is wants to hit those faster paces or is at a level, say sub elite or elite level, what's the, what would be your advice for somebody who thinks I need even to hang with athletes now is that carbon fiber racing shoe or, uh, you know, the more high tech shoes, so to speak, what would you, what would be the, recommendation in that type of situation coming from a coaching's perspective you know one you, you always go back to the, the question you asked earlier of training the feet and so 
if we work at both ends of the extreme, if we train the feet and use minimal shoes as a tool to, to strengthen, and then you pick the appropriate tool for the race in your, in your example, hey, yeah, a, an elite is gonna need to compete with, with the carbon fiber and they, they pick and choose their spots, but also realizing that the further and further we get away from the ground, the less and less and less we are using our muscles in an appropriate way. So kind of, you know, it, to, to me, it's not an all or nothing perspective. You know, it's, it's, it's training the feet, training in a way that you're continuing to add strength then to help you be able to run in the chew that you need to, you, you decide to, to race it. Gotcha. But, but to go back, you know, to- and no, I, I train a lot of ultra runners, you know, and, and so we're we're having to deal with with um, you know protection, you know. So, you know, m- mountains hurt, rocks hurt, and so finding that balance of continuing to strengthen, be as low as the ground as possible, and then pick your protection device for for the terrain. T- to go back to what Chris said just a, a minute ago, though, because I, I don't want to let that slip by was that, again, I think you're proving my point that the enjoyment factor is something that came out of your book. And, like, when you say uh, you don't, you, nobody's too slow to run with me or nobody's this or that, you, you don't, I think the mass appeal of that book was that, hey, anybody can go out and run an ultra. And I think that's what opened the sport. If you look at the sport before that, there's a few crazy people doing it. And then Born to Run came out and there was, a mass appeal to let me see if I can do this. And I think the fact that you weren't a, um, an elite that was winning, you weren't Max King or, uh, you know, one of these, uh, people that just destroy trail races like Killian Jornet, that you were more relatable. And you're like, if that, if that guy can go out there and do it and, and he can do it barefoot, maybe I've got a shot at, at going a longer distance. Maybe I'll give this 50 K a try. Maybe, Maybe from there I get addicted to the feeling of accomplishment and I'll move up to the 50 or the 100. And I think that that is something that you brought to trail running that wasn't there, the accessibility of, of great distance. And this book that you're coming out with now, I'm guessing is the way that you're saying, okay, yeah, yeah, you can do it. Here's, here's the way that we would recommend that you go about it. Is, am I getting that right? Yeah, you totally are. And I think um, there's another element about Born to Run, which was, you know, I came at it from a journalist background. You know, I'd been a reporter for a lot of years. And as a reporter, you're kind of invisible. You you stay out of the story. Um, Almost all the running books are putting the writer first and foremost. You know, uh, look at Ultramarathon Man, which is a great book. But there really is only Dean in it. There's almost nobody else in the entire book. And most other running memoirs you read, it's that main character and maybe one or two other people. For me, like, I was like the least interesting guy there. In fact, it was when I turned my draft in, my editor was like, dude, you got to put more of you in this. And I'm like, I am not stepping up there and putting myself on the same page with Scott Jorick. And they said, but that's the access point for the average reader. You know, we don't we need, we need a bunch of like titanic gods. We need the average person so they can see what it's like through your eyes. I, I think what maybe made the appeal of Born to Run, not only was it 
that I was depicting my experience, but such a variety of other people. It was like men and women, different ages, different cultures, coming from all walks of life. All of them out there kind of for the same reason, have have a blast. And um, I, I think what we wanted to really get at with, with Born and Run 2 was kind of a surprising thing we found. So it had been in the back of my mind for a long time. Like I had heard a lot of stories of people who felt like, okay, you know, I bought the Viva Five Fingers. My work here is done. I'm good to go. You know, the, and I kept saying, dude, I never said buy more shit. I said the opposite. Learn form. You know, the, the, the stuff you buy is unimportant. And we really saw it surprisingly when we did a photo shoot for the book. So we, we front loaded the work by doing a photo shoot before we actually finished the manuscript because it was one of our number one priorities was we wanted this book to represent as many different runners as possible. You can see from the cover. Now that is probably the most diverse running photo you'll ever see. You know, there's a variety of people on that cover. And we knew that this was going to be kind of tricky to pull it off. So we had this photo shoot in California, and it was surprising to both Eric and I to see some really accomplished runners show up with some really nagging pains or biomechanical Mm -hmm. problems that we knew was it it was a piston rod ready to erupt any second. And it actually happened. There was one guy there who's a fantastically fit athlete, great performance athlete, and a few weeks after that, Eric pointed out, he's like, that, guy, that guy's all quads, man. He's going to have a problem. And then a couple weeks later, he goes down with a stress fracture, like Eric called it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what really motivated us. Even people who are high-performing have got these wobbles in their system that are really going to cause them grief. Second check-in. I'm wondering right now, are you running in bad weather? Or are you listening and it's bad weather and you're debating whether or not to go out and you run? I'm going to say it again. You can separate yourself from the crowd by being a little adventurous and finding out a little bit about yourself. One of the things you want to do, though, is make sure you have the right stuff. I find that if I have good gloves and a good hat, pretty much everything else takes care of itself. Warm head, warm hands. And your core will heat up, so don't worry about it. Make sure you got those. If it's a holiday season, you can even ask for them or just buy them for yourself and justify it by saying, hey, it's uh, the holidays. I mean, it is interesting going back to um, just thinking about athletes in the past and, you know, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, there were some ridiculous marathon times back then, and they're running in you know, uh, what are just the, the tigers. Yeah. The, 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 the tigers. Yeah. Essentially yeah. that, um, racing flats and with, and with a lot of the, with none of the nutritional insights, smoking cigarettes, or smoking cigarettes, <laughs> doing whatever back then. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Jalindo Bordino yeah, was <laughs> Jalindo. And then, uh, yeah, we had other ones. On. Um, but it was, but it's, it's wild to think that. And to, you would think that with all the advances in technology and food and nutrition and training that you would be seeing huge, that there wouldn't be even any of those runners in the top 20 marathon times at this point, but it still remains. There's a lot of, a lot of them are still, those records still competitive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did notice in your pictures that, was that a question? Yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> I just want to get, like, get your thoughts. No, I, just, I was just talking about it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that because it is, it is interesting to think about that. You know, I, I, you know, isn't the saying, 
you look through time, the majority of performance enhancement comes through equipment and services and and not, not through some some technique in as far as training technique. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think, you know, in any sport really the improvements have come through technology, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of what we're seeing now. So, you know, it, it really, I don't think has come from uh, a change in physiology, so to speak, you know, that, that, that change has come through technology and a little bit of, of training performance techniques. But mm-hmm. again, I think most of it's come from technology. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, a lot of exercise physiologists have pointed out is that there was no records of un- running injuries until really the eighties because it, it wasn't a phenomenon. You know, it was with the advent of cushioned shoes. I believe that allowed form to go to hell. So if you want to, say, maybe speculate why runners in the 70s are performing on a par with runners 50 years later, I would have to assume because there was no history of cushioning, you had to learn good form. That you couldn't run down a street in crappy form in a minimalist shoe. You had to learn how to cushion yourself with your own natural biomechanics, and therefore you've kind of front-loaded all of your form. You know, it's kind of funny. See, you look at those pictures of Prefontaine and Shorter. Those guys look magnificent, you know, like yeah. chest up, you know, driving with the hips, driving with the knee. They look fantastic. And I doubt they ever even thought about it. That form was what you had to do in order to naturally cushion yourself. So I would suggest that's the reason why these guys can handle insane volume, yeah. you know, 120 mile weeks because they were landing like light as a feather every stride. Mm. I, I, I'm going to argue that point just to just to be you said Eric won't. So I'll, I'll get on it. Um, I believe that the new cushion shoes and the race shoes that we're seeing with these stacks are allowing people to recover faster after their hard workouts. And then add, like, we're seeing people like Kira D'Amato, who's able to string together several marathons in a year. Um, other athletes that they're bouncing back from hard efforts faster. And I'm my guess has been that those cushion shoes are a big part of being easier on the body and maybe their forms already there and the cushion shoes help with that. But what, what do you, what would you, am I totally off base? Well, I think there's one thing too, and this is like the kind of the great bait and switch of any kind of gear is that we hold out customized, highly functional technology gear that elites use and somehow it's supposed to work for us. Uh, and, And that's, that's the big problem. Listen, you know what? If you're a Kipchoge from the Rift Valley and you have been putting in 200 mile a week since you were seven years old, your form is dialed, you're good to go, and then every little technological tweak is actually going to make a big difference. Mm. It is going to help your recovery. It is going to shave those milliseconds off. But that is a fraction, as a millionth of a one percentile of the runners out there. The overwhelming majority of us have all that legwork to do. You know, you see a lot of times in triathlon, like the, the beginning triathletes who show up with like the $7,000 carbon fiber bike. Like, dude, you don't need that. You know, you, you've got a lot other work to do first, you know, before you're putting your money into shaving a couple of grams off of your bike frame. Learn to swim. But it's easier to, it's easier to buy than to learn. So that, that's, that's where I see the difficulty. Listen, if you've done all the prep work, if your form's dialed in, if you've dialed in your nutrition, if you're, you know, all your other biomechanical tweaks figured out, then you can grace yourself by taking, you know, a half of a gram off of your shoe and putting in a piece of carbon fiber. But I think what happens, though, is that the rest of us 
use that performance shoe thinking it's going to do us some good. And actually, I feel like it does us harm. It, it removes the necessity to actually learn what we're doing with our bodies. I mean, I think it just, I would have a tough, we would, if we lived in the same household, we'd have a tough day because I, like, I would be continually trying to pull out the cushion shoe and you'd be like, hey, stop let's it. give it, yeah, stop. But uh, to get back to the book, it is, it does have, the first thing you do notice about it is the diverse runners. And I mean, it's on the cover, but even more so inside the book. Out of curiosity, like, did you, how did you, what was your process in finding a, I mean, you've got people from different ethnic backgrounds, race. Uh, I think you've got a person who runs with a blade. Like, how did you locate all these different runners and how, to, how did you find out who you wanted to represent your philosophy and training? I think there are two quick answers. One, Luis Escobar is, is the main answer. Uh, and two, is basically just going online. So we, with Lewis, we wanted to do this photo shoot. We knew we wanted Lewis. He had shot the original photos for Born to Run. And what's, what's kind of interesting about these adventures, you know, these, these I don't know, something about the sport of running. Here, here's, I'm going to throw a theory out at you that might get me banned from the airwaves. But running is really almost as intimate as sex. You know, it's like it is about as close as you can get to physical sex in a sport as possible because when you think about it, you're stripping down to minimal clothes you're sweaty you got endorphins running through your body you're right you have when you finish a run with a group of people it's not it's only only the feel like this is taking me a direction no, keep going keep go. going you're, you can't, you can't got stop Rob, now you got Robbie at peak attention you can't stop now on. he's titillated <laughs> right right I'm lighting some lighting some candles here so here's the thing about it I've always wondered what it is about it, when you go on a group run or you do a race, somehow you feel this intense bond with people. So Eric and I experienced it with that Copper Canyon group. Like, we became like family for life. I can call Billy Barnett anytime now. You know, I can call Lewis, Ted. They, they become brothers and sisters for life. Mm. Um, we were only together for like a week, week and a half, two weeks, whatever it was. Same thing, though. We did this photo shoot in Colton, and I feel deeply like connected to those people I was with for three days. So I sort of wonder what that is. And I, I sort of speculate that evolutionarily, because running was so important for us, it became almost as important to us to survive as sex did. And so we have the same reaction in our body of sex. So uh, your, your question about how we found these people was, you know, uh, we put had Lewis put the, the call out and got people together. But secondly, what I was looking for, just kind of looking around on social media was, I was looking for that same expression on someone's face that said, I'm having a fucking party. I'm having the best time. And one of my favorite pictures, it took me like six months to, to land it, was a picture of a group in Boston, black men run Boston. And it's just a simple selfie. One guy in the front of the pack holding the phone up, and the other seven or eight guys strung out behind him. But the look on their face is like, it's kind of like, all right, who farted? It's, like a, it's a who farted face. And they're all looking at each other, and they're laughing. And I saw this picture, and I said, that's it. Like, that could have been the cover. Um, the, the fun, the camaraderie. These guys are not worried about their Strava. They're not worried about what their training peaks thing is. They don't give a shit you know, how many miles are doing that day. And so that's what we looked for. And wherever we found those photos, they were in the book. You know, you're talking about form, feet, and then other 
important parts of the book that you focus on. You, you have exercises in here and that, you know, helps with the form and the feet, but you also have some recipes, some like nutritional advice. So maybe for, for you, what is your approach to nutrition that you feel works the best with this type of, with the quote unquote born to run lifestyle? Yeah. So we, we kind of looked at it from two, two angles. One, you know, a lot of the training throughout the book is, you know, the kind of the, the quote is athleticism is awareness and all, all good athletes have great awareness. And we're, we're trying to maybe feed that a little bit into the food section of, Hey, if, if you look at stripping down all the high glycemic foods for tw- for two weeks, strip think, strip that away. How do you feel? And starting to create the awareness of how nutrition and fuel make you feel so then you can find a good balance for what you can kind of maintain throughout your life. Um, Dude, I did that real quick. I did that one time and it felt like I was quitting cigarettes again. Like, I'm not even kidding. Uh, Because I took, I think, 11 days and by day five, I was like, I'm going to kill somebody for, uh, <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and again, just create, creating that awareness of how you feel. You know, what sugar is the new tobacco, right? It really is. Uh. Well, here's the thing about that, though, Robbie. Um, that was a good thing. It was a good thing for you to experience because now you know what effect chocolate has on you. Most of the time, I mean, I think there are two issues at play here. Number one is... I think the overwhelming majority of people get involved in running because of some relationship of food. You know, we hear all the time that, you know, I only run so much I can eat whatever I want, or I started running to lose some weight or get back in shape, or I just, I just freaking hard pounded the chicken wings last night. I better get out and run tomorrow. So, Mm. so much of what we do is in a reaction to what we eat, which is, again, I think is a disastrous cycle, you know, because your running is dictated by punishment as opposed to pleasure. Mm. So what we wanted to do was let people realize, number one, you got to get the food off the table, so to speak. You got to get your food dialed in first. Otherwise, you're constantly going to be on that hamster wheel of running after calories, and it's going to lead to disaster at some point. But the second thing was understand what exactly is happening to your body by what goes down your throat. So I I hear you, dude. You know, uh, two weeks without hogging out ice cream, and there better be a wide berth around, you know, like chaos will ensue. Right. But the thing about it was I wanted to dial in my understanding of what the food was doing so that I could feel like, hey, if I feel groggy in the afternoon, what, what is it? Am I sleepy? Did I train too much? Did I work too hard? Or did I just, you know, throw down a chimichanga for lunch, which is probably a bad idea. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's what we wanted to teach people was be aware of what effect this food is having. So have you always lived that type of life um, where you're hyper aware of that? Or did was that something that kind of came about during the whole process of Born to Run and everything like that? I mean, not me, dude. This is all coming from this guy. Yeah. I never would have thought that. How, how about you, Eric? Were you always dialed in or was that a revelation? Oh, for me, it's been a, it's a, you know, I, I was doing triathlons back in the 90s. And that's when, you know, the whole carbohydrate thing and, mm-hmm. So I, I got sucked into, you know, that carbo load and carbohydrates overload. And, you know, I was training a lot and I was fit, but looking in the mirror, I should have been more fit. And not, not that appearances means anything, but it, it told me something as a coach that something's going 
wrong. I moved to Jackson Hole, completely stripped away all unnecessary refined sugars, and I dropped almost 15 pounds that I didn't even think I needed to lose. And I'm not saying this is right. a weight loss story, right. but it told me that hey, you, you had a question about, you know, the, those runners back in the 60s and 70s of how they performed. You know, they, they didn't they didn't need all this this fuel that we're told we need right now. So it's it's really understanding, you know, seeing food as fuel and and get, getting that understanding of of refining the engine first and then the fuel becomes um, an added source based on what you need to do that day not food first mm-hmm. again back to 2009 chris was responsible for me growing chia seeds in my dishwasher because <laughs> if you didn't get them all out of the dishwasher you'd look in there every once in a while and they'd sprout <laughs> that's funny yeah i don't know if you remember do you remember the uh yeah the what was the mixture? It was honey, chia seeds, and uh, one other ingredient. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, yeah it's it's yeah, yeah, basically uh, chia seeds, water, uh, honey, and some kind of citrus, lime or lemon. Yeah, and if if you didn't if you didn't catch it, you didn't drink it all. Those seeds would sprout with that form, <laughs> formulation too. <laughs> right, right, right on. Yeah, kind of a like weird mossy growth popping up all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, So I wanted to ask you, and this might not pertain to book. This is kind of something I was thinking about while I was reading this and actually watching my son run a cross country race a couple weeks ago. And I know it's something you talk about in Born to Run a little bit where, you know, you say as kids, we have this very natural running form because that's how we're born to run. (laughs) There you go, Robbie. And, uh, (laughs) And, and I wondered, you know, I mean, it's just such a pure running form that it looks so good. And is that something you still think, do shoes ruin that over time? Or is it a mixture of shoes and maybe not as much physical activity? And in, in whatever case it is, how do you kind of make sure kids or as they grow up don't leave you know maintain that that i guess beautiful form that they have when they're so young you know i have a daughter that's a junior and up until she was four or five years old you could buy the most amazing shoes you know out there nice minimal moccasin style shoes i was jealous i wanted shoes like that and then once she got to a certain size you weren't able to buy those anymore they went from these really again minimal platform shoes yeah. to the, the shoes that lit up when you heel strike and i i complete i watched her form completely change overnight just based on the shoes that she was wearing mm. and so i think i think it also goes to what you're saying where we just stop being that active as kids mm-hmm. you know i think that's a big part of it too so i think there's kind of a lot going on there um, but I, I also see, you know, I'll th- throw in the, the cross country, you know, that we've lost that development also in the cross country scope of things that I, I think they're just thrown into doing so many miles and we've lost that development from a speed perspective mm. that then translates to the kind of the everyday person runner 
where, hey, we, we focus so much on the endurance side of things, but actually all the elites are developing their speed and strength first and then applying it to endurance later on as they mature. Yeah. And I, I think there's there's a big problem there that again is filtered into the kind of the age grouper. You know, we and we've also created unfortunately these super unnatural performance based sports, you know, that are you're you know, you sort of leave the kid alone until they're five, do whatever they want. So they run when they want, walk what they want, sit under the tree, go on the monkey bars. It is based on how they feel. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden they get involved in scholastic sports and it's about performance. Faster, harder, go, 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 all the time. And so there isn't that natural ebb and flow. Like, if you watch other creatures, like, no dog says, okay, I'm going to go out and just run 13 miles at 750 a mile nonstop. Yeah. No, no dog would ever do that. Dog goes fast, goes slow, it lies down, it, it moves in circles, it jumps over a log, it stops to sniff shit. We don't do that anymore. Kids do it. But then we think, okay, well, that's just play. It's not good enough. Right. You know, you're not competitive enough. So that to me is where the real tragedy you, is. Once you put yourself into a distressed state um, where you're running farther uh-huh. and faster than you really should be, your form is going to collapse. And that's what you learn how to do. You do learn you, how to run with collapsed form. Do you think that's a more Western idea? Or do you know places where it's more, more focused on that kids playing rather than competitive sports? I know... You know, some countries like Sweden are more play-based and for childhood. But I don't know if I was trying to think off the top of my head any other cultures that are, you know, not so streamlined, competitive as America, where you have AAU travel teams. It's like go, 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 always performing, and a lot of times only performing one set of skills and muscle groups, which <laughs> obviously leads to injuries down the road. Well, there's a couple of things, but you know, for starters, I would say let's go back to Tarumata in the Copper Canyons. I mm-hmm. feel like. The beauty of looking at that culture is that human development froze in time, like in the 1600s. Like by looking at what the Tatomata do, we see what all humans were doing prior to the sort of pre-industrial age. And what we see down there is that their ball game is it's it's ingenious. You know, the, the kids go out to play and they line up and each has that like wooden ball as two teams and they're on an out and back course. The beauty of that is, is that if you're doing an out and back and you're sort of kicking a ball along, you know, like you're on a fast break drill, yeah. the fastest guys will get to the turnaround while the slower people are lagging. But when they turn around and kick the ball back, now suddenly the guy who's lagging gets the ball and he's, he's in the lead. You know, so he's leading, he's leading the fast break. The beauty of that is, it is a sort of self-correcting mechanism where faster guys are running farther because they're faster, slower guys are running shorter because they're slower. But the group constantly reforms and stays together. So that's basically what it's all about. They've taken in running. They've turned it into play. They've compensated for speeds and distances. Uh, then you look, you know, back in like the 1940s and 50s, all those great Norwegian and Scandinavian runners. Yeah. You look at what their training was. It was like 50 miles of backpacking followed by a picnic, you know, or 200 miles of like snowshoeing over the course of a weekend. It was all very communal low heart rate based, you know, it's about building up a recreational foundation for endurance that you could then turn into speed. All right, final check. And speaking of warm hats, you can get a warm hat by signing up for Grit 
So if you're out here and you're enjoying the inclement weather and getting out and showing everybody that you're not a fair weather runner, what better way to do it than sign up for grit? So this January, you can log miles with friends, us, and you can get cool swag, win prizes, and uh, just feel like a badass. So if you haven't already, sign up for grit. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Just go to believeintherun.com forward slash grit. Yeah, so it, real quick about the, that's a good segue into the heart rate stuff. So, uh, and, and, and that's part, part of what you talk about in the book. And, but since you mentioned it, you were talking about leading that, um, laying that foundation for speed and quickness and then uh, transitioning into endurance. But how do you uh, kind of reconciliate those two things of speed with like low, low heart rate um, just to like, kind of clear it up for anyone listening well you're, you're we're not always training at a lower heart rate you know there's oh there's building that part of the engine but you know in the book we have eight we call them gears or you might call them training zones we mm-hmm. have eight of them so we're, we're we're driving we're driving a stick shift with eight gears not just one or two and i think that that's a, a core principle of getting people to run with variety that's so good for the body, shocking the body in so many different ways to create strength, speed, and, and stamina. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned in the book, Phil, Dr. Phil Maffetone, who's kind of had a large effect on the heart rate based training and things like that. And, uh, it is interesting cause I was, um, Oh, that remember that Rick Rubin podcast they were talking about. Um, I think he worked with him for a while, but interesting to hear the, how heart rate heart based, heart rate based training is not just for the endurance runner or the track track athlete, but you know, kind of works well for a variety of people. Um, but yeah, so let's see. Anything else we need to cover that we didn't talk about yet? Uh, okay, you know what? I actually want to ask you: What shoes are you running in? Like right, so Chris, I saw yours, but Eric, uh, if you want to go ahead and throw that out there. Yeah, so I'm kind of in a rotation right now of my favorite shoe of all time is the, the Solomon S labs sense six. Okay. And I just, I just was given a new pair, even though they're what, four years old yeah, now. I think they're like four, um, yeah. yeah. So th- those are, those are my favorite. Um, but I, I, if for long days, I, my ideal shoe right now is the innovate, uh, Terra Ultra. Okay, yeah. To a two seventy, mm-hmm. is it? I think they changed it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that shoe. Zero drop. Um, just again, I just gives me just a good balance of everything. Um, and then on the opposite end, I'm doing a lot in the zero shoes now. Okay. Where I'm, I'm really, I'm going more minimal for me than I normally was, and just, just experimenting and seeing what the, what that's going to do for me. I love the VJ Spark. Uh-huh. Um for um I, I think that's a wonderful shoe. And, I've run in that one. Uh what else? Um Yeah, I think uh yeah. What did what um what distances do you kind of what's your preferred distance or what do you like to run right now? I right now I'm kind of more kind of sky running based where I, I okay. like the aesthetics of, of the mountain. You know, it, it doesn't always have to be long, but you know, two, three, four hours in Alpine environment, a lot of vertical, a lot of technical. Yeah. 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm up here in the Tetons, so it's, it's very, very technical. So my, my issue is I've got to find a shoe to give me the protection, um, but still the ground feel that I come to enjoy. Right. So that's where I like that spark. I, I like the, the innovate. Um, and, and, you know, and that, again, that's, that's where I thought the, the Solomon S lab was just that ideal, nice precision performance-based shoe, they, but they gave me the protection I needed for an all-day adventure. Yeah, and I think every shoe you described has that gnarly, like, yeah. outsole teeth. and teeth on <laughs> like soccer cleats. Yeah, yeah that yeah, 270 yeah, from exactly. Innovate was a pretty pretty robust outsole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a very narrow foot, so that that was really wide for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I, come to, I, I come to really like it. Yeah. So. Um, so that's why you like the VJ Sparks. That's a super narrow shoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and Chris, what are you, what are you running in right now these days? I know, I guess, is it the three you showed us or anything else? A lot of zero shoes. Yeah. A lot of zero shoes. Uh, I was a zero shoes resistor for a long time. You know, I thought that they were sort of barefooted wannabes and they were doing their wadachis. And so it was Eric that convinced me to give a pair a try. And I got the Zellin and the Mesa Trail, and I was shocked to think that this might, these might be the best minimalist shoes I've ever tried. Wow. Uh, they just solved a lot of problems with other minimalist shoes. Like, you know, I, I, oh, who, who, Steve? Yeah. yeah Steve Sashin on the podcast? Yep. That must have been an experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's, uh, he's a wild card for sure. He, he's, he's, he's a popcorn machine. Yes, he is. Um, so I, I, was, I was surprised. I was re- a resistor. But, you know, all the little style problems that other minimal shoes have, they, they've kind of solved them. Like the Minimus I like, but they, they run narrow. And their soles are weird, man. Like a lot of Minimus have those like weird disc soles that mm-hmm. don't really grip very well. Um, Innovates, they, you know, it's, it's a crap shoot. They, they tend to run narrow, and you can never sort of tell. Because of the number system, it's really hard to figure out if they're going to be wide enough. Uh, and they're hard to find in stores, so you got to order them online. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I would say I'm kind of rocking a lot of zero shoes these days, and of course, you know my Luna sandals, whenever whenever the uh, trail permits. Cool. Um, all right, anything else, Thomas? No, I just promise uh, if I'm out there on the trail, I'll bring a multi tool next time <laughs> and uh, help a brother out. <laughs> and so, uh, when does the, yeah, yeah, exactly. When does the book officially drop? Just so everyone knows, December six. It rolls out in the U.S. We're, we're super happy with it. You know, it's one of those things where usually you finish a book and you kind of regret what you weren't able to do, like what was in your brain page. Uh, this is the opposite. Like, all right, how do you feel? I feel like this is better than we even discussed. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm so close to the training aspect. For me, what I really appreciate is all the stories and all the inspiration. Every as we were writing this, he would send me, you know, his, his stories of you know, every week. And I'm like, Oh man, this is so good. Keep going. And I, I had to drop it and go for a run, you know? So I was completely inspired just by this, the stories that he was telling. So um, it's, it's, I, I think that's where it's unique is that you get the inspirational McDougal stories along with, you know, a, a potent foundational program that's going to help any, any type of runner out there. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thanks for talking. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you on the trails at some point. You got it.
Yeah, man. Yeah, help me out next time, Tom. Don't just run by and laugh. I I won't. I promise. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) All right. All right, guys. All right. All right. Awesome. Robbie, did you learn anything? Um, I don't know that I learned anything new because I have read Born to Run and we've talked to other barefoot people. But <laughs> Barefoot people. Yeah, cavemen. <laughs> you know those people. But it is, it is interesting to, I don't know, I still like hearing what he has to say and kind of his philosophy on things. I'm open to anything. Yeah, that was fun. All right, so let's wrap it up. Meg, what do you got? Um, if you guys haven't registered for Grit yet, there's still a little bit of time. Um, and we have a light version with the hat that I'm wearing right now. If you're watching on YouTube, if not, go look at our Instagram. We got photos of it over there. It's a cool beanie. Um, and you can participate, do all the stuff that we do, log your miles, uh, try to win prizes, uh, all that good stuff. Part of your entry goes to the Donna Foundation. So you're helping end breast cancer as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just go to believeintherun.com slash grit if you want to register. All right. Um, Awesome. Hey, thanks to Brandon for editing this pile of heap um, (laughs) because there's going to be a lot of fun edits in this one. But thank you so much, bud. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in every week. We appreciate it. Maybe you want to hit them with one more review before we go? Uh, Sure. All right. While you're pulling that up, Robbie, you got anything that you'd want to say to your audience? Uh, Not really. Just uh, (laughs) hang in there. (laughs) I don't know what that means. It's yeah. like the cat poster. Yeah, hang in there. I love it. <laughs> All right, Meg, you got one? Okay, Gone with the Dogs wrote, y'all are amazing. I just want to say thank you for publishing this podcast. I just got back into running a few months ago, and I completed a completed two 5K events. This podcast definitely has changed my mindset when it comes to running and not feeling ashamed that my time is off or I'm only doing 5K events right now. Keep up the good work and have a long-time listener from here. Thanks. Right. Awesome. Thanks. That'll work. So say goodbye to your ma. Hi, ma. Or hi, ma. I guess. Bye, ma. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. All right, cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs>